Welcome to Cars on Call. I am automotive journalist and gas meteorologist Steve Schutz, and we are back. Uh, we had uh, both of our intrepid co-hosts, Adams and Stefan, gone last week. Trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, Adam, uh, automotive consultant, collector, historian Adams Hudson. Both you guys were gone last week. I'm, I'm glad you're back. I'm surprised you didn't get canceled. <laughs> Maybe we will. <laughs> no, thank you for for handling handling the reins and letting us letting us be away for a week. But it's good to be back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back too. Yeah, we had uh, uh, my partner Jeff Beck and his father Jerry Beck, who has provided us with all kinds of questions and ideas and feedback. So, and they were great. So, uh, before we start, let me just say a very personal note, very quickly today is the one-year anniversary for my son and his wonderful wife, Krista. So, Carl and Krista, happy anniversary. And two days ago, uh, my uh, middle son turned 30. So, I'm aging. You are right in front of us. <laughs> Glad me and Steph aren't. We're holding steady. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, last week we talked about Q3 and year-to-date uh 2023 automotive sales we went into a lot of the kind of the weeds of it but one thing i mentioned was that the jeep wagoneer uh and grand wagoneer seem not to be doing very well and i want to give a, i want to put some meat on that bone because this to me is unbelievable for 10 years whatever mm. fiat chrysler now stellantis at least 10 years i at would least. say 15 they've been talking about making a wagoneer and they've been uh talking to Wagoneer uh, clubs and say, we're going to have a Wagoneer. It's going to be Wagoneer's coming back. I mean, on and on and on. They had 10 fucking years to get this thing right. And then they finally come out with it. It's supposed to be a suburban Tahoe Escalade Expedition Navigator uh, competitor. It's based on the Ram 1500 pickup truck uh, platform. And 2021, they finally did it. And it is not doing well. With all that time, number one, we'll talk about the design. Look at that thing. It could be way more interesting looking. It could be way more better. Just some quick numbers before you guys launch. Wagoneer sold about uh, 21,000 through the end of the, through the, the first nine months of 2023, about 7,500 Grand Wagoneers. So together, maybe almost 30,000 of them. Meanwhile, the Escalade sold 31,000. The Yukon sold 63,000. Tahoe Plus Suburban, 126,000. This Wagoneer, but before you guys launch, I look for Wagoneers and Grand Wagoneers, and most of the ones I see in Idaho are, are rental cars. These are fleet cars. This car is bombing. Well, it's sure bombing. It's ugly. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I gotta... so... I, I like the front end, you know, but the 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 passenger door and the rear window in the back past the C pillar, it just looks awkward. This is like this to me looks like an awkward duckling. When you think about it, what is a suburban? It's a big box with another rectangle on the front. It's a four rectangle, four square design. It's not. It seems to me, how can you get it wrong? Well, they got it wrong. The door sills are too high. They got these chrome strips around it, and the front end's okay. Rear end's not size terrible, so I can see why nobody wants to drive this thing. It just, it, it just, it looks off. It just looks totally wrong. It, it and it's such a late imitator and a and, and a late comer to the party. Uh, I, I'm not love the front end to me looks like you know the, like a, a Remington electric Chevy from 1984, yes. and to me, I mean, uh, there, there's. You guys have gotten me on a marketing roll here, but Reason Trout wrote a book called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And one of them is if you cannot be first or own a segment, prove your superiority for your slight hesitation. In other words, if you're going to copy somebody or, or jump into a segment and say, hey, I want a slice of that pie, when you do it, you've got to absolutely prove why you're there, why you're a little bit late to the to the game, and then your superiority. 10 years is just two eternities 
in automotive design. And I mean, you know, I'm going back in the history books when the Mustang launched in 64 and a half, Chevrolet was right at the drawing board. 30 months later, boom, they come out with the Camaro. And that's before CAD CAM design. That was before uh, uh, robotics. That was before virtual building. That was, I mean, this is like hardware hammering. Uh, when the minivan launched, uh, people were, were 30 minutes behind that unexpected success and they start coming out with their versions of it. Toyota does, Honda does, Ford sort of does. GM does a terrible job at that doorstop looking thing they came out with. But I mean, if you're going to be competitive in this market and look how hyper competitive it is now, Jeep just fell asleep on this car. And I hate to say it, they did it on the dang Gladiator truck. There were kit trucks out in the marketplace of a Jeep truck. Ten, nine, nine years before Jeep gets the gumption to make a truck. They were uh, at least at least nine years late in the uh, Jeep Wrangler four-door. They hesitated look, and look, waited for the Look at the, look the, at the date on that post. Yeah, 2011. And it came out, mm -hmm. you know, like nine years. Yeah, it's around nine years this later. Is some dude in his driveway. The, the the four door Wrangler they waited on they waited at least ten years to come out with a four door Wrangler, uh, and then that that actually succeeded. The Gladiator is doing just just okay, um, but go, if you go just back to the Wagoneer picture, Stefan, I think red and it's like a burgundy picture. I think that's the only color that actually looks okay. Most of these are silver or gray or black or white, and they look terrible. This car, especially in silver or gray, looks like it was designed by a committee. It's not a whole design. Uh, it, I think, it looks crappy and boring, and especially the, the only the only way it looks good is in burgundy. All right, we've already given enough attention to this thing that deserves no attention. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. We we said what we had to say. Uh, where the where yeah. the dark green gonads? It, yeah, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I'm going to quote us. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't deserve gonads. Uh, Key and peel, man. Key and peel. You done fucked up, a a Ron, and and that's it for Jeep. You done fucked up. So, uh, car spotting. Car spotting. This was an oddball one, but it sort of relates to um to the to the lateness of the party of the Jeep that we just saw. And sometimes it's 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 a it's it's a slight crime to be ahead of your time. Case in point, nineteen ninety four Mitsubishi Montero, and you can look at it and go, ah, oh, what did that? That's kind of a halfway land cruisery halfway uh, uh uh early box suv and that's exactly what it was that that car launched i think in about 83 with the four cylinder and two doors and then they dropped the two door in 90 and they came out with the four door and it originally had a fairly anemic uh v6 about 151 horsepower not enough to move it around then by the time this came out it had a 215 horse check this out people 1994 quattro valve that was a four-valve V6 wow. uh, in this. And I think it's kind of cool. And you don't see them around. And if you look at the date and think, my Lord, you know, that's like 30 years ago. Uh, they were a little early to the SUV party. And where is Mitsubishi now? It's like they all went to launch in about 1998 and never came back. I think that fourth valve on that engine was to oil the cylinder because I don't think I've ever been behind a Mitsubishi that wasn't blowing blue smoke. <laughs> I mean, every single one, I swear uh, they all blow blue smoke. It doesn't matter which, whether it's a car, the SUV, and I think that's what that fourth valve is for. Well, it's got 350,000 miles on it needs a rebuild <laughs> no they were blowing they were blowing blue smoke when they even the impulses i remember you see a one-year-old impulse that thing was blowing blue smoke the, <laughs> yeah. is that fair steve adams i i I, I don't know if it's totally fair but uh mitsubishi does have a rep and did have a reputation for lousy quality even though they're japanese they're no honda or toyota when it comes to quality uh, I do think you're right. Uh, they were early to the party, and they they missed an opportunity to continue to evolve and um, you know just keep going with the Montero, make it better and evolve. They were innovators back then. I'm not surprised that they innovated with an early SUV kind of family hauler 
because that wasn't a minivan because they're the ones that developed the balance shaft. And Stefan, you've talked about the balance shaft. Porsche had to Porsche had to yep. license it from yep. Mitsubishi for their 944. They were innovators, but they just and, and then they stopped. Hey, just saying, type in blue smoke and Mitsubishi and your <laughs> webpage will blow up. Okay. I just did. All right. Well, Why is it blo- I, it's blue, blue smoke everywhere, all of them. So I tell you what, what won't show up is an impulse because that's an Isuzu, but we were going to let you slide until you. Oh, there you go. That's right. Jab that's in. Right. You okay, jabbed us right. late. So <laughs> that's right. But I do like, I, I, I would take a, a Montero just because it's a little, little bit different than the mainstream. Or you know the current mainstream of sort of vintage looking at SUVs. I think it's kind of cool. I, do. One, I think one, that in the original it, Trooper. I like the yeah, original Trooper, Suzu yeah. Trooper too. It was that I, kind I, of I, big box where you've got the windows are large, like on the original Range Rover. All the side glass is 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 extra large, and I like that a lot in the, on the SUV design. Isuzu and uh, Mitsubishi were early to this party, and now they're not players in the the most profitable and popular area of the automotive market and their non-players. And they were, they were, I agree with you, Adams. They were first to the party and now they're gone. And that segues a little bit into our bigger topic today. And no, what about the, safety? The safety. Okay. Oh, safety. Well, it, 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 it's going to segue <laughs> into that and we know it's going to segue into that. All right. So yeah, let's do safety. All right, here. So I just popped it. Let me You're looking at the window. Here. We're talking about windows. Okay. That's exactly. We are talking about windows. And um, I got to see if I can pull this up. Here we go. So what's interesting um, about when we talk a lot about autonomous driving and talk about Tesla, the big lawsuit they're undergoing last week, two weeks ago. And, you know, so we think about autonomous driving. You remember the car crash? The lady was um, sitting behind the wheel, the autonomous vehicle, and it ran over uh, a pedocyclist and killed her. And so the question has been raised, um, and I think this calls under the the category was called inattentive blindness. Hmm. And you've all been there. You've been cruising down the road, listening to your favorite song comes on the radio, or your cell phone goes bleep. I got a text. Somebody likes me. All of a sudden, you realize you look up and you're like, wow, I just went down the road a couple of miles and I had no idea who I passed, what I've done. So that's called inattentive blindness where you're, you're looking, you're kind of processing information, but it's not reach really reaching your cerebral cortex. So that's what these two researchers, uh, Kyrino Rokel and Heiko Heck, they published in science direct. And this just came out in October. And the title of the article is Regular Looks Out the Window Do Not Maintain Situation Awareness in Highly Automotive Driving. So basically, exactly, even though you're sitting behind the wheel autonomous driving, you're supposed to look up occasionally, you're supposed to look out. Basically, when you look up, you don't have time to process the information that's being presented to make a corrective action. And I think, you know, initially I thought about this. I'm like, yeah, no, if I'm sitting behind the wheel autonomous driving and something happens, I'll have time to react. Well, I think that, you know, that's an urban legend and these scientists approach it typically with, you know, hypothesis that no, it does work. It doesn't, they did the study and um, what they found out that, you know, we are now relying upon human backup for automated systems. So we're okay. There's a, oh, wait, you've got autonomous driving. That's okay. You just, you just look out the window, um, you know, maybe listen to radio, let the car drive. And if something bad happens, and you're required to re-engage or what's called a takeover request, you'll be fine. So, but they did this study and what they found is, you know, you sitting in there and just occasionally looking out the windshield doesn't work. So what's interesting is that it does work if you basically have less than three seconds to process the information. So what it is, you have to look outside. You have to see what you're looking at. Your brain has to process that. Is this a critical situation? And then you have to take action. But if you're just sitting there, look up every now and then, that's that's not good enough because your brain is, you saw this inattentive blindness taking effect. And what's interesting to me is Mercedes is looking at this and Mercedes kind of figured this out. And they have, um, when you're doing the automotive driving the Mercedes, they found out that you basically have two to three seconds. So their new innovation in the drive pilot, they do allow 
a time budget of 10 seconds for you to take over autonomous driving, but only when you're going below 60 kilometers per hour. So the autonomous driving kind of fades out when you go over 60. So Mercedes already figured this out. And what, you know, it's just a deal as humans, we don't process information as quickly as we think we can. It just, what it depends upon is our level of attentiveness and sitting behind a car that's an autonomous driving, our brain goes in that turn off mode, inattentive blindness. And you're doing 80 miles down the interstate, hands off the wheel, reading your book and you're in a Tesla. Something pops up in front of you, it's game over. You're not going to be able to process that information and react to it quickly. So it involves- Let me ask you, let me ask you a question about that because I, I love this. This is, uh, this is gonna be a challenge as we move toward autonomy. And this is gonna be a big challenge. To me, and this is my question, uh, well, I guess I have two questions. Number one, isn't sitting in an autonomous vehicle kind of like riding in a bus? When you ride in a bus, you look around, but you're 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 not you're it's you're, it's a different situation. When you have your hands on the wheel and you're driving, when you look around, you're looking for the stuff that's going to help you drive. When you're in a bus, you're just looking around. Exactly. You know, we all have yeah, periods of attention and intent of blindness. Say so you're driving in the car and you damn near rear end somebody. You're like, so that was when you finally your brain clicked back in because you realize your brain has to perceive the environment. It's got to comprehend the situation. Then it's got to project the future state. And that's followed by decision and execution of an action. So you have to do all that in in a tip in autonomous driving. This study clearly showed that's just not going to happen. So the idea that once again, we beta test these autonomous driver driving vehicles on the roads and the driver is supposed to still be attentive. This study, this study clearly shows that the driver is not capable of a takeover event in time, basically, if it requires more than three seconds before collision or impact. Well, you know, Steve, a wonderful point and a wonderful question. And Stefan, thank you for introducing that topic, because I, I think people just don't understand. They way overestimate their capabilities. Oh, I can do I can multitask. No, that's been that's been disproven about a hundred times you really can't multitask effectively uh you're poor at either two or the three things you're trying to do but like the the, the bus riding or driving example we are just blurring the definitions here constantly and i know i've railed on this but uh, you know when you're in an autonomous vehicle are you the driver or the passenger and if you're the driver you have hyper responsibilities not just to you and everybody in your car but to other people on the road if you're the passenger you're like steve suggested you're sitting there you can be looking on your phone you can be looking out the window doing whatever you want to because you are not in control and if your situational awareness is in a book or on your phone or just daydreaming about something and then bang you're you're called into action i remember now this is probably a dated figure but we used to have efficiency experts come to our office, you know, we paid the, these consultants to come in and tell us about how to, to maximize what we were doing back when I used to have a job. And I do remember the figure that if that if someone's interrupted because that was a big issue with me, I had an open door policy because I was all modern. Well, I basically halved that after this little statistic came out. If you get a knock on your door or a bang on your phone or an email that interrupts, it takes you 11 seconds from a millisecond interruption, it takes you 11 seconds to get back on the topic. So you're talking about two to three seconds to come into panic mode when most of us make crappy decisions anyway in panic mode. I I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, it, I am anti-autonomous driving because it's not driving. It's riding. Pick one. Yeah. Let me, uh, I'll, let me mention something that actually, uh, a trauma surgeon that I know named Stefan Moran told me, and I never forgot this. This was something you told me probably years ago, but it was really, really smart. Um, and it kind of changed how I drive. You said, if there's any kind of panic situation, you have time for one move. And he said, if your hands aren't, the, aren't on the wheel, then your one move is putting your hands on the wheel. If your hands mm. are on the wheel, then your one move is to steer away from the situation. And I, Stefan, you mentioned that, uh, and I always thought that was great. Like, you have time for one move, which is a better way to say it than milliseconds or seconds or whatever. Mm -hmm. One move, and if you're looking out the window thinking the car's driving, you're not going to have time to make that one move like the guy did with the with the first famous Tesla accident on autopilot. He drove into the side of a huge semi-truck. Right. That's yeah, so it, you're right, Steve. You got one move, and you know, when I cruised, I just 
got back from a trip. We drove out to Missouri. Uh, buddy and I got hunting those eight hour, eight and a half hours on the road each direction. And you know, when I'm on the interstate and there's any traffic around, I always have two hands on the wheel. Nine, you know, nine o'clock, three o'clock, and I'm looking down the road, looking through vehicles in front of me. Now, I got to admit, when it gets, I'm the only car on the road and there's nobody else. I'll drop my right hand, put it on the knee on the bottom of the steering wheel, get, go to a more relaxed driving position maybe allow my brain to wonder a little bit but i think you know it falls back to this thing that this responsive time the less than three seconds if you that's a sympathetic discharge flight or fight that you've got less than three seconds when you are in a death situation you will make a rapid decision if you're not in a situation where you're not going that you perceive that you are not going to die it's going to be longer than three seconds and if your hands aren't on the wheel you're looking out the window your brain is going to have a WTF moment. And you're not going to have time to get there at over 60 miles, at over 60 kilometers per hour. And, it's and by the way, positive. just to clarify, Steph, and hold your point, clarify for the listeners out there, 60 kilometers per hour, they may think, oh, that's highway speed. No, that is 35 miles an hour. 35 that's miles slow. an hour, yeah. yeah. That is slow. You know, this falls back to the point, and you can think about when you're driving. Next time you drive, get on the interstate have your hands at nine three and think about every vehicle on the road. That truck's now got his blinker on coming over. So I call that driving offensively. You're on the offense. You're like that linebacker cutting through the line through the middle. You're looking for holes. Then think about defensive driving. That's where you're sitting back passively and you're just waiting for things to, ha you're just letting things kind of come and go, but you're not actively deciding where you need to be on the road. And, you know, that when you switch that brain mode, and I think your brain then goes into defensive driving mode. And that's why it takes greater than three seconds to process it, what, what this information is. And, and, in, and at highway speeds, you're not going to be able to take corrective action. And that, that clearly shows so. We don't need, I think autonomous driving will be great one day. It'll actually save lives. It's better than the human driver. But right now, the algorithms are just too complex. And we really don't need beta driving. And I think, you know, I think you still need to, if you're going to have an autonomous driving, you need your hands on the wheel and you need paying attention. Amen. The best autonomous driving is called a plane, a train, or a bus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that. So Board much. one of them. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, going back to, uh, I guess, the topic of death, death and resurrection, Adams. Uh, that's, there, there's your segue. <laughs> it's Easter already? <laughs> <laughs> okay well we have uh you know it is interesting so sort of like this 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 passage of, of of automobiles automobiles that have come and gone we have not just seen uh some makers come and go but we have seen a lot of nameplates come and go and oftentimes a manufacturer will think oh well let's let's look into the past and let's find a a car that was lauded or a model name that that was revered or, or well-liked. And, you know, when it was retired, it was still sort of in, a, in an okay, you know, a plus mode. And let's bring it back. And what we're going to talk about is cars that were brought back that shouldn't have been brought back. We're going to talk about cars that were brought back that were good, like, yay, they picked up where they left off and actually did it. And then a couple that... um that what what is the what is the last category that we want to come back that, we want to come back we, we, we want hoping. to come back the what the ones that left that did not return that would that are due to return or would be a success if they returned we are praying for a resurrection yes indeed that's right yes all right so, so we yeah, get three I, of each i thought it was great i love this topic and and uh i thought about it and uh I'm going to have Stefan go first because I know what one of it's going to be. But a, a car, a, a, these are three vehicles that we thought of that they died, they came back, and they were good. They were really okay, good. So you want, me to go to, you want me to go to good? Okay, I, I was going to do bad first. Let me go to good. No, I want to do good first because right, let me do good. Bad's first. more interesting. Okay, all right, here we go. We're going to share. All right, so here's good. There it here's is. My first pick. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That. The Ford Bronco. Yeah. I mean. You know, I kind of honestly, I had to, I had to withhold myself here. I had three, three goods from Ford, um, and I had so I can't have all Ford, but the Ford Bronco clearly, um, it was a fabulous vehicle when it first came out. It was a game changer, the mini SUV, and then when they redid it, this is now I got a picture of the Heritage Edition. Mm. You get this wonderful blue with the white top. Um, so and they got the they came and Ford did it right, two door version and a four door version. Um, so went to hats off to Ford. 
I know I should have the bad here, the Bronco Sport. You know, can we just Ford blow is, that up? No, like you're blow that up. so good. They were doing so good. Yeah, Ford Escape and an Otterbox, like Steve-O said. But that, so that's my number one pick, the Ford Bronco. All right, can we just move on to the next since I got my pictures? No, up? I, 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 you know, I immediately thought of the Bronco because they completely nailed it. They brought it yes. back. They did it exactly right. This is this should be a case study in one of uh, uh, Adam's uh, marketing lessons that he talks about. And yeah, bad resurrection. I agree is a, is the Bronco Sport, but I deliberately didn't do the Bronco because I knew you were going to. One of you guys would do it. it it's brilliant. Yeah, it brilliant. really is, and I, I agree. It should be a case study. And I'll mention something briefly. Looking back over our shoulder at the car spotting on the Mitsubishi Montero, one thing I found out I did not know previous, and I promise there's about to be a parallel point, is they had a, a Montero that was a four door, and they had a Montero Sport that was a downsized two door. So uh, you wonder where Ford might have gotten that playbook. Could they have been looking at what Mitsubishi did? Not that it was a success, but it was just a pattern. Nonetheless, I totally agree. The 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 rebirth of the Bronco, everything about what they did was dead on the money, and their sales reflected. Yeah. All right, Stefan. Another one. All right, my number two, the Dodge Challenger, man. It was it was a legendary muscle car from that era. And then when they resurrected it, they did it right. They had all these different high power versions coming out. And, you know, they're going out with the Challenger Demon, um, over a thousand horsepower in this thing. So I just hats off for once to Stellantis for um, getting something right with the Dodge. It, it really hurts me that the Dodge is going away um, because they did it. They resurrected the Challenger name and just once again, multiple muscle car editions that came out, stayed true to its form. Agreed. I, I say I say hats off to everything they did there. They didn't do quite as many things right with the uh, Charger nameplate. Nonetheless, the Challenger, you know, salute. Good one. Steve, you're a Mopar dude. You got to have a comment on this one. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This was, uh, uh, I thought one of you guys would do this, so I didn't mention it. It's not on my list. Uh, it's brilliant. It was really well done. By the way, I give them a lot of credit. Basically, Mercedes came in and, and merged. They call they call like, they uh, created Daimler Chrysler and uh, Mercedes said, Hey, you can have this old E-class platform and someone had the idea at Chrysler, let's use it to make a challenger. But it, but they did it that the styling is, is that's where the magic is. Unlike the Wagoneer where they just blew the styling because it's so boring. The challenger looked good. And it's amazing how uh, good it looks for how big it is. Yeah. This yeah. Thing is gigantic, but they, the, the proportions are just very well done, unlike the Camaro. And then I'll finish with my last good, um, the yep. Ford GT. I mean, the, the original GT was right, primarily a racing car. There were some Mark IV road racing. But then when they resurrected in 05 and the latest one, Ford just, they nailed the GT each time they brought it back out. So I just hats off to Ford with the GT. All right, that's it for me. Yeah, I completely agree. Adams, you can't disagree there. I GT40, then GT, then GT2. Yep. Cannot disagree at all. Like them all. Good picks. Yeah. So um, my good are, uh, number one, this is obscure, but this I thought was true. Would we uh, expect anything less from you? <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really wanted to talk about this one because Goldfinger, uh james mm -hmm. bond drove it aston martin db5 it's one of the best uh english designs ever it's a yeah. wonderful looking car it's so beautiful and uh and then they had the db6 and then the db number cars went away and they had the vantage and the virage and all these other aston martins in the 70s into the 80s and then in the 90s and every word that would start with a v yeah yeah they like it's like and you know, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. Um, they were, for most of the time, they were run by a guy named Victor Gauntlet. Maybe he's the guy that had the anyway. Mm -hmm. Whatever V names, and they get, they got away from the DB numbers, and then Ford took over, and then they said we're going to do a new DB number, and they came out with a DB seven. And Adams, you're a, you're you're into this whole sports car world uh, and collector world. I think the DB seven when it came out looked really really good. And I think it's aged well. What do you think, Adams? 
You know, I, I think that's where Ian Callum became a, a, a quasi household world name in the uh, in the design world because the DB7 and the, you know the, then the, the V8 that followed, then DB9 and all these other. I think it's fantastic. I tell you, one of the great things about that, and people love to pick on this car. They go, "Oh, it's a jag and drag because it's got the you know the, the supercharged uh, Jaguar motor." Who cares? It's a hopped up motor. It's a great chassis. It was a good chassis then. It was a good chassis when this car came out. I love the aero wheels. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love the, the the whole front end. I think it's a very clean design, but but the wheels just set it off. And proportionately, I think that car is a win. And it started putting Aston back on sports car buyer's radar. Yeah. And uh, Stevon, you like this car, don't you? Oh, absolutely. It's got a little bit it's got a little bit of the lexus sc in it but i do like it um <laughs> I, I don't i i think well it's a little bit it's a little bit wow. rounded for my taste i like a little bit more angularity in design but i think it's i think it's a great design a great car and i'm glad they brought that number back um that, you mean that like that box of a cobra you're building yeah exactly yeah aerodynamic <laughs> brick does that have a straight line on it <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, this is. It, it, I like curves, but this is a little too smooth and felt curve. A little, it need to be a little bit more bulbous, maybe. I, but uh, it does well, actually look kind of first gen uh, Lexus SC from the early night. I, I I agree. I hadn't thought about that. I yeah, I that's what I'm kind of seeing. Damn. Well, my uh, my second one was the Porsche Speedster and in 1954. It was a stripped 356 convertible. They said basically, we think Americans will buy a stripped. Porsche that they can basically track. So it was cheaper and lighter. And they're like, hey, this is kind of, we'll sell some more of these. And instead of being more luxury luxury oriented, this is going to be more for the track. And then the Speedster ended up succeeding. Well, it came back, a, there's been a few generations, but the latest one, which was 2019 right there, um, now it's full luxury. It costs a lot more than a regular 911 basically based on a gt3 so it's a gt3 with a six-speed manual and not much of a convertible so they they jack up the price and now it's like super luxurious so yeah they when they brought this back and of course they've been previous generations but i'm talking about the latest one this succeeded it i've always liked the speedster um i like the originals went to the museum saw them there and you don't see a lot on the road and I like the I like the old ones and new ones. There's just something about a windshield that's raked further back, a windshield that's lower, and I just I love them. You're right, but they once again it used to be less was more. Now more is more with this thing. You're <laughs> especially right, especially with Porsche, <laughs> especially with Porsche. Yes, um, but uh, I do uh, love it. I think that's a great pick. Uh, you know. Finally, I, 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 yeah. I feel like the original Speedster, which was actually Max Hoffman's genius. I don't think right. that came into Porsche's marketing department. It may have. Steve? No, it was Max Hoffman, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, you look at that car, and it's like, yeah, that that's sort of like like trimmed down for racing. And even look, it had the exhaust pipes exit out of the 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 uh, bumper overriders and the Rudge knockoff wheels. I mean, it's got like a lot of things that were just totally utilitarian. And then the... Speedster, Lord, there's probably been several. I know there was at least a 1989, a, a 2012, a 2016, and the current one. And what they'll do, Porsche will say, okay, well, we eliminated, you know, four pounds of sound deadening or something yeah. like that. Or the top, the top now weighs 12 pounds less or something, but no one cares. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, and it's limited production. Yeah. If I, if I recall correctly, the name Speedster came from, it was a, roadster for speed so they just called it the speedster um i i can't i think that's the right story makes sense yeah i'm buying it yeah, yeah. Okay. makes sense yeah. i'll do my last one and then we'll move on to to bad uh but um and then we're, we're going to finish with uh ones we wish would be resurrected so uh but the z now this is going to be controversial because the 400 z that just came out is heavy and it's not great, but you know something? The original Z, I had a nineteen, I had a nineteen seventy two in this color orange, uh, nineteen seventy two four speed, two forty Z, amazing car, inline two point four liter in inline six engine, and a great manual transmission and a beautiful interior. 
I love my car and uh, they resurrected it with a 400Z. Definitely has some kind of homages in the design to the original Z. Uh, again, it's been criticized for being a, uh, a little bit overweight and maybe too big, but you know something? I think the design's right. It's it's a V6 instead of inline six, but it's got a manual transmission. So I'm going to say I love this car. I'm glad it's back out. I bet they're sold fewer than the Wagoneer, though. <laughs> I, I I did notice a little bit of silence there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I know, I, it's going to be controversial. <laughs> I don't know what the what what the Stefan, go ahead and keep. Did you have another a follow up to that? I do say I do like the design of the, I do like the design of the new one. Um, I think they finally got it right. The earlier earlier versions I just didn't like, but this one I think I do I do like it. It's got a nice crease down the side, but it's that's a really tall order, man, to beat the original 240Z because it seemed like everything that came after the original 240Z got got longer, heavier, slower, and lost the original sportiness. And you can say the same thing about the Speedster, but I had. The, it was such a true to, I mean, it was just the design of that 240Z, the little cam back, and it just fit everything right. And then it's hard to catch up and reinvent that. Man, you are not kidding. I mean, look, just, I'm looking at the 240 right now, and I'm just looking at those taillights that look like either an Alpha GTV or a Pantera. Or, I don't know. It's just, that is so classic. It's so trim. It's so taut. There's not a line out of place. There's not a lot of adornment. It just really fits what it is. I don't dislike the the current one at all, Steve. So I'm not like dissing the pick, but it's like they, like Stefan was saying, the 350Z came out. It didn't know what, what it wanted to be when it grew up. And if it grew up too much, it was going to outdo the GTR. And the GTR was hyper technological and faster and all these other things. I couldn't figure out where that car fit. And as I've said before on this podcast, those need to marry. Let's just make a really fast car that is your sports car, Nissan, and just just do it. Quit dividing the brain power at Nissan between two really, really um, wonderful but intra-competitive uh, platforms. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh I knew that would be a little bit controversial, but let's move on to bed. And before we go to bed, I, what just popped into my head, Mercury Marauder. And I, I drove the second gen Mar Marauder, which was based on the, you know, the Crown Victoria. And it was from 10 years ago. I love wow. black and black. It was black and everything. And I just thought it was cool. So, all right, let's go to, let's go on to bad Adams. Why don't you give us some bad ones? I like that thinking on the Marauder. <laughs> That's kind of cool. It all was right. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Car okay, these are these are cars we wish they'd never remade. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Let me find let me they find they done fucked up here. AA Ron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As Stefan is, is is snagging the he's the he's the he's a co-host and he is the graphics department. Yes. We're doing the, bad the Fiat. Okay. The Fiat one twenty four. Yes. Oh, see, I, not, I, I was there was a 124 sedan. You're not talking about that. I <laughs> know I'm not talking about that. But the 124 sports car of like whenever that came out, like 1969, and ran till God knows it went through a Bertone Azuro or something like that. But it ran through about 1980 in its decent looking design. And and it was a good it was a good car. That car, the, the original was designed by Tom Tiarda. And it was too bad that Tom, who designed the Pantera and the Ferrari 330 GT2 Plus 2 and the, 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 the Corvette Rondine, a few other wonderful cars, Fiat decides, hey, in the, you know, the, 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 the unending intelligence at product design that is Stellantis, hey, why don't we take a Mazda Miata and reclose it and make it? A Fiat 124 it doesn't have anything to do with the Fiat 124. They used a couple styling cues. You can see that grill is sort of like halfway trying to be the old Fiat 124 grill, just halfway. And then it's got that ridiculous little chin strap looking thing on the bottom. I don't know. The, the, the looks are not good, but aside from the looks, the Miata owns that segment. As we talked about marketing segments, the Miata owns that. It's reliable, fun, sporty enough, fast enough taut enough, uh, 
great build quality, incredible reliability. It's probably introduced more people to SCCA racing than any automobile in history. And then Fiat does this and they make, what, what is this thing? It's like a Fiat. What, I don't even know what they're trying <laughs> to like that. accomplish here. And I think they sold like 20 of them. I don't know. I've seen yeah. two, I think, in my life. Yeah, you pull up the cars and coffee and this, hey, Guido, nice body kit on your Miata. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> just, I don't get it. I, you're right. It's just, it's, it was just, they wanted that segment back, but they didn't want to put the R&D money into it. And to just redress some yacht and call it your own, I think it's just, it's sacrilege. It's just, it's, it's terrible. But hey, it was more money for Mazda. So, I mean, they, they, they laughed yeah. all the way to the bank, but you're yeah. right. I, so where do you get this service? Do you go to Fiat dealership or our Miata dealership? I'd go to the Miata. I'd go to the Mazda dealership. I wouldn't, I would never go to Fiat, Fiat dealership, but, but you know what? It may be the very first reliable Fiat made. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. He may have a point. He's that's got great. A point. I'm sure I mean, you're right. You, yeah. If you really, really want a Fiat bad, do, do, but do you really? You can get this and say, oh, I finally got my Fiat, you know, but hey, okay. All right, what's your next one? Have I got another, uh, a, a good one to come back? Yeah, no, a bad one. Oh, no, no, another one. bad one that yeah. from, from a good name to a bad one. Here, I'll cue you, Adams. Here, here you go. There's there your you go. right there. <laughs> <laughs> the Toyota Supra. Oh, Lord. You know, Toyota does not make many missteps at all. And so I'm going to say that with all the reverence I can, this was a horrific misstep. The Supra yes. name, the word Supra. I mean, if you look at the whole Fast and Furious franchise, if there is one automobile model that emerged from that is like hero of most of them and or just a wonderful Coaster. Yeah, that's the first. Stefan just put a picture of the first gen up, and I was going to say I even liked the first gen. Second yeah. gen was was better. Third gen was even better. But the first gen was okay. Yeah, well, well the okay. original the original Supras were gussied up Celicas. It was I called mean, a it, Celica it, Supra. It wasn't Celica a Supra. Supra. It was like yeah. the high end edition. That was the first generation. Then I actually did like this generation. Um, this is my favorite. The second gen. You know, but the generation that is big money in the super world is this third generation right here. Uh, God, perfect for an adornment of a nut sack in the it's back. Fourth, these fourth gen, fourth gen. I'm sorry, fourth gen. These things are going for huge money on uh, bring a trailer and cars and bids. And then you're right. Then we end up with this. And oh. once it, just like the Fiat, it's a BMW um, in disguise. It is, and you know, and and, it, and it's crazy that that Toyota would 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 cash in all the name equity that they had built out of the Supra over that many years. And I'm glad you showed this historical uh, points of interest that the Supra was, and the Supra became, and then the Supra, you know, like the king of that version of car. And then this, I mean, they just they they put it in a petri dish with BMW, and they started around. And they come out with this, and it's just not it's just not good. I agree. Okay, no. a third bad, bad, a third, a third bad, bad. Okay. bad. Okay, bad. <laughs> bad dog. Here's to me the worst, the most egregious. It's going to be a little edgy because it's not super, super well known. Is the Maserati Ghibli to reinforce? Is there no shame at Stellantis? They would take. Now scroll back up. Did I not send another photo of the first? Look. Okay, so there you go. There's the original Ghibli. The describe it for those listening. It's actually it's, it's like a is it describe it for our listeners that 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 aren't looking at the picture or don't know the car. It is so fantastic. This particular car designed by Giorgetto Giugiaro, which is just fun to say. Back in the uh, uh, the 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 later era of Maserati when they were joining up with help me here Citroen. Uh, but this particular and the Ghibli, just that, that that word, I think it might have been one of my favorite car names back when we did the names uh, episode, named after a hot desert wind. I mean, how sexy is that? So this is a two-seater coupe that was built to compete directly and did a good job with the Ferrari 365 GTB or what we all call a Daytona of period. It's a swoopy uh, front end design with uh, a quad uh, fold down lights. It's got a four seven or a four nine uh, front engine V eight. Uh, 
lots and lots of 40 millimeter carburetors. There'll be four of them in a row and twin stack stuff. You'd love to look at the motor compartment. And it even had quilted vinyl under the, <laughs> under the engine compartment, just to say I'm Italian. And this, and the tail lights, the tail pipes, the Campanolo rims, everything about that car is just about artistically perfect. And then you get to scroll up to the yeah, new. Just a, it's a it's a rebodied uh, Alfa Romeo. What's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> sedan, sedan. It just blends into traffic like anybody's. 5 Series or Lexus, not that those are bad cars, but come on, Maserati, break the mold. Adams, don't you? I think it looks like a Hyundai Sonata from the rear. Maybe not even as good. <laughs> oh, it just, it just, it just hurts my heart to see those two in the same, at the same time. Yeah, to go from two door to four door with the same nameplate, um, I agree with you. It just, yeah, I mean, yeah, bad. It was very Charger esque of them to do that. Yeah, they didn't. It's all about the execution, and they did it. They desecrated a name just like Supra, uh, Toyota desecrated the Supra name. So, uh, yeah, uh, Stefan, what's uh, what are your bads? All right, my bad. All right, let me get there. Let me get it ready. Well, Celica was one, the Supra, we got that. Here, I'm gonna go with my next bad, uh, the Hummer. Um, so <laughs> yes, the, the Hummer. So, you got oh, the good. original, you know, here's the original Hummer military vehicle, the H1. And here's Arnold Schwarzenegger, who you've seen up in Sun Valley. We, I we should, I said, uh, we're seen, I've seen Arnold in Sun Valley, not driving his Hummer. I think you've seen him driving his Hummer. Uh, yeah, you? I've seen him drive two different Hummers. Uh, the H1, the big one, the the military Humvee. He's got a couple of diesels. Uh, they're in beautiful shape. Uh, that's a hell of a car. That's an unbelievable vehicle. Even the you know, and then they turn around and then you know they do the H2 <laughs> Hummer. Just uh, this uh, awful thing with little porthole side windows. And then, of course, the monstrosity that I've talked about, the 10,000-pound Antichrist machine, is what Stefan calls the it. The Antichrist on four <laughs> wheels, the HHAC Antichrist. Here it is. So that's my that's my bad, bad, and more bad. Um, and then I'm, I'm, here's going to be an unusual pick. We'll see what you think about this one. So... Oh. Here's one of the most beautiful Ferraris of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. that's this is a great day. I like the, this. The 250 GT California. So, listeners, if you may, you know, when you think of a Ferrari, a two-door convertible Ferrari, you're probably thinking of this short wheelbase, the California's just it was in, it was in Ferris Bueller's day off. It's exactly. Ferris yeah, Bueller's day go. off. And then was it 2004 they came out with the California Mm-hmm. And it went from 12 cylinders to eight cylinders. The design of this just is disproportionately. It's this baby's got back. It's got this gigantic <laughs> rear end and it just, it is just disproportionately wrong. Now the latest California looks a lot better, but this one just is all wrong. And um, it took them a while to get it right as their entry level Ferrari. But that's my number two. That's my uh, number three pick. I didn't even see that one coming. That that would have been right in my lane, and I wasn't even thinking about it. But I I agree completely. Yeah, the the Portofino is an okay looking Ferrari, but yeah, the first Californias were just like, oh, there was so much bulk going on in the rear three quarter. And what I had read is that they had to do that because that was their first retractable hardtop design, right. and they did not quite have it trimmed enough to where that top would hide up under that area. That's why it's so bulked up and bulked up and bulked up. So the original California a little too big. The original California was incredibly desirable then because it was a wonderful car for serious drivers, and it's very desirable now. And the California, the 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 second gen California from the you know 20 years ago or 15 years ago, uh, that was like a secretary's Ferrari or your dentist Ferrari. It didn't have any credibility. Mm-mm. Right. Right, I'll go with Mike. Those are my three bads. Let's see. We've got to move up. Who's who goes uh, next here? I'll pull up. I got my bads next, and then we'll move All on right. to the ones we want to have resurrected. So I won't spend much time on this, but right. Ford I'm Thunderbird gonna... 1955 oh, Ford Thunderbird. <laughs> it was a reaction. It was a reaction to the, the Chevy Corvette. And it came out two years after the Corvette. And it outsold the Corvette 20 to 1 when it came out. It was it it absolutely nailed it. 
And then 1970, it was this bloated monstrosity. They should have never called it the Thunderbird. Keep scrolling. And then in 2002, they're like, all right, we'll do a convertible. And this is a retro design. And I drove this. It was on the uh, the uh, Lincoln LS platform, which was never designed to be a convertible. And they made a convertible out of it. Did not have nearly the stiffness once they got rid of the roof. Mm-hmm. This thing, I wanted to like it because I kind of liked the styling back then. I thought it looked pretty good. And uh, it drove terrible. It made all kind of rattles and cowl shake because it had very little stiffness. So it drove terrible. It was slow. I, I got out of the car. I'm like, this car is terrible. Uh, bad, bad resurrection. Bad, bad. Agreed on that one. Totally agreed. I just, I see one of these things. I want to, you know, I want to be glad they brought back the Thunderbird name, but just like, it was just awful. Somebody goes, yeah. I don't remember who designed this. I don't think this was one of May's retro designs. It was, it was Jay May's. Jay's May's. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, looks wise, I'm, I'm going to give it, give it a, the porthole top. Let's just stop yeah. the porthole top. But I mean, there, I think a lot of the design cues are good in that. And we rented one in California for my first Pebble Beach I ever went to, and that was so cool. I was young, married, broke, spending all the money I had to go to uh, Pebble Beach, and I rented one of these, thinking, "Isn't that what you do in California?" We didn't get out of the Hertz parking lot before we creaked so hard I thought the hood was going to pop open on a minor incline. It, it was. <laughs> totally not built to be a convertible yeah so i'm gonna go from bad to horrendous to uh just pisses me off so the horrendous is pontiac gto 1964 the original muscle (laughs) car uh just so desirable it's cool now it'll always be cool and then 1974 just 10 years later was a fucking nova and they called it a (laughs) gto it's an embarrassment but i think even worse Go down to the 2004 version. They brought yeah. it back again, yeah. and they brought it back. It was a Holden Monaro, which is a, a GM car from Australia. Had a good V8 manual six-speed transmission, but it looked like a jelly bean, and it didn't look like a GTO. And it was an embarrass. It's a horrendous sacrilege. It's terrible. Uh, I if if they could take every one of these and crush it, the world would be a better place. <laughs> Yeah, they should maybe rename, but you're right. The slot GTO on that was just uh, was terrible. I agree because I, I don't dislike. I mean, I think Holden made some good cars. I love their Utes. Um, yeah. The, 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 you know, the El Camino, but way better than an El Camino type, type Ute. And that's really not a terrible looking design, but to stick the GTO word on it or just why, what? That that is pure marketing department mishap right there. Let's just do that. No one will be offended. Well, everyone was offended. I'm gonna skip my last one because it's boring, but we can just just pour derision on the GTO and move on. Uh, and I want to move on to the ones we want to have resurrected because this I am I want these all to come back. So Stefan, start with yours. I want these to come back. Oh, actually, I forgot. Well. Oh, I thought you had, never mind. No, I don't have, I, I didn't, I didn't, you I mean, can, I want you, the Cobra to come back, of course. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't, I did not uh, get my list up. I didn't interpret your instructions. Uh, Adams, you will be, that's what I meant. Adams, Adams, you got a good list. Go with yours. I'll go with mine. And Stefan's going to have a lot to say. And Stefan, he is going to have a lot to say. And I think he will be happy with at least one of my choices, but maybe, or maybe not the first one, which is the Ferrari Dino. Yes. Yes. You know, D- Dino, there, goodness gracious alive. I mean, there you go. That's just Penaferina purity right there. And uh, I won't go into the the the, the very but anguished history of that car. But didn't they just kind of bring it back? Car. I mean, they didn't well, call they it a Dino, but isn't of, it? They kind of brought it back with the 296, attempting to sort of build the two. It's a V6. And the 96. It's a V6, but it's got a hybrid motor, and it, and it delivers only 818 horsepower. <laughs> and where this car, <laughs> where this car was built as a as a svelte, trim, sort of entry level, if you can believe this was entry level Ferrari of the day. And you know, Enzo would bristle if you called it a Ferrari. You know, he'd probably you know have you tortured in the back lot if you called a Dino a Ferrari. However, it was supposed to be an entry level sort of vehicle. Well, the 296, let's look at the base price. It's 343 grand is a 296 and 372 for the GTS. So to me, it's really not 
it just sort of picks up the numbers. But the 246, if they made anything like a current Dino, there you go, anything like a current Dino, the only similarity that car has with the old 246 is four wheels and the location of the gas cap filler. And a V6. And a V6. <laughs> that matters. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of does. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll give it a, I'll give it a uh, nod. One of those. This, uh. I mean, isn't this like his son, right? You know, uh, yeah. uh, the, the original Dino was not called a Ferrari and it was kind of an illegitimate child between Ferrari and Fiat. And then the second gen, it's, it's a legitimate Ferrari. Uh, his son with his uh, mistress uh, was not really a Ferrari. Now he's a, now he's on the board. So there you go. There you go. All right, do I go with my next? Yeah, yeah, you keep rolling. I got your pictures up. Roll with it. Okay. All right. The next one is the Porsche 904. Oh. And there, was, there was an original 904. and I, You may can click that link in there, Steph. Not super sure if you can, but you might can. But there was an original 904 that was just built for racing. And, you know, Steve, you probably know the history better than I, but I, I'm going to say that there were a few street versions that sort of snuck out there in the world, but most of them were raced. And Dick Barber talked about having a 904 and racing, just mopping up the competition. And this is a, a concept car that Porsche has flirted with and teased us with in photos. And I think what they're trying to do is not make it too much like a Cayman with a little bit of a body mod done to it, like it's been to the plastic surgeon. But the 904 also was not an entry level, but it was a sort of a stripped out, not trying to be luxurious piece, you know, a, 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 a tool for war. And what, what they ended up with the street was just a dang good looking car uh, that didn't have a lot of frills. And it was the, the 904 concept. Stevie, what do we think about the concept? Were you happy when you saw it? No, I, I didn't like it at all because it looked like what it is, which is a Cayman that's gussied up to look like a 904. Uh, I'm going to send uh <laughs> Stefan, uh, uh, the picture of the 904 right now. This is actually yeah. the, this is a, a Joe Bezzetta 904 that uh, Joe Bezzetta, uh, who's been on the show before, his father raced this car in the uh, in the 60s. And this is what it looked like. The 904 was a design by Bootsy Porsche, um, one of the, the sons of Ferdinand Porsche, who founded Porsche Design. And it was a beautiful car, uh, had decent success as a race car driver, but it was beautiful. And that a Cayman doesn't look anything like it. It's this is stupid. Yeah, I I, I wish they were closer to that. Yeah, when they but I agree with you, I, Adams. I would love to see a 904 come back. Oh my gosh, it would sell like crazy. Yep, yep. And and they could do it. We know they could do it. And you know, in in, in, in Porsche speak, if, if Porsche is listening, and we know they are. <laughs> You know, if, if they don't, if they say, no, 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 we make exclusive cars that are, you know, uh, mid six figures and we have a waiting list that's two years long. Great. Why don't you make 1,948 your favorite number over five years, produce almost 10,000 of them, let 50% of them be your lauded, selected, called down list of dignitaries and influencers, and then let 50% of them also be Regular citizens who are good in their community, who love grassroots motorsports, who 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 talk about Porsche at any given opportunity, but are not platinum plated. I mean, let let like half the real world get a chance at one instead of saying, sorry, they're all sold out by the time they hit the hit the uh, hit the Internet. So that's bring back a nine fourteen. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a good looking one. Yeah, all right. Not a, not a bad idea. I mean, how many people want a Porsche and you can't afford it? A new yes. one. I mean, so bring, make an affordable Porsche. Um, yes. And, and yeah. an affordable, semi-exclusive one. I think that there's a there's a niche within a niche, which Porsche loves to do, waiting for them. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, number three. Yeah. We're going to get cheers from the, 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 the crowd over there in, uh, in Arley, Alabama. I got it. The Ford it. Cobra. Oh, yes. I don't mean the Mustang Cobra. I don't mean the Fairlane Cobra. I don't mean the Talladega Cobra. <laughs> I mean the two-seater Cobra. They had a concept car. Steph, what year was that? 02-ish or uh, 2004. Four, that one. 2004, yes. 
so dang handsome, so dang modernized, so close to to what they, look there. They nailed it, good. Stephon. Don't you think they nailed it with that with that concept? Absolutely, I think they did. I think it, the design does look a little bit twenty one years old. Um, it's got a lot of clues from that era. James May, I'm not um, what's his um, James 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 era. I think his is one of his designs as well. And for some reason, I think for this weird thing this this concept was called car was called petunia um but i oh, do like it i think uh, you're right yeah there's that just popped in one of those weird facts but i think this is a well done you know re reiteration of the cobra and i did like it and i remember i wish they would have brought it into production it would sell i mean the cobra replica is the number one selling replica of all replicas made I mean, there's just to this day, people love the idea of a Cobra. And I think at the, you know, with the era of the internal combustion engine going out, why not bring back one of these again? Uh, I think, I think hard part is probably has to do a lot with safety and passing, but hey, they do it to Miata. I mean, that's a small car and Miata gets that by safety, all the regulations. So I, I'm with you totally. And I agree with this. Um, bring this, bring this back forward. Yeah, that's a great pick. And just go uh, ahead and put Jeff's name on the list and save him the trouble. Yeah. Well, we're getting I a little short on time, so I'll go, I'll go through mine and then we'll wrap it up. But uh, uh, we, this is a theme for all of us. Something simple, something that is less expensive, less big, smaller engine, more fun. So I said BMW 2002 and make it around the size of a 2 Series but the smallest engine, a six-speed manual, make it fun, make it simple, make it affordable, make it accessible. Uh, exactly what you guys are talking about with, with especially um, the, uh, um, uh, well, the Dino, but also the, the 914, the Porsche 914. These are cars that if you could make them reliable and accessible, manual transmission, I think kids would love it. Young young people would love it. Um, I've talked about the Nissan Xterra before. It's, there's nothing fun about it, but if they made a decent quality competitor to the Forerunner, uh, Nissan would make lots of money. They'd sell a lot of these things. And finally, and I do want to spend a minute on this, the original M5. And the original M5 from the 80s, uh, in this country, is only uh, tan interior and black exterior, uh, sold for three years, manual transmission, Q-ship. Here's, here's my vision, and you guys can react. I think they need to bring back this particular car because it has subtle badging. If you didn't know what it was, you didn't know what it was. You didn't think it was anything other than a five series. And it was a gentleman's express. I loved this car in the eighties. And here's what I, here's my vision. An M3, except because the M3 is about the same size as this car, manual transmission, narrow body, way way fewer badging i think call it an alpina not with the 20 spoke wheels have basically wheels kind of like what's on this car here um you know good looking wheels that are subtle subtle badging subtle everything where you don't know what it is unless you know what it is manual transmission the m3 engine and subtle understated i would buy one it's a that's what they should do so, so but you're you're talking about a bullet version of the m5 yes because oh, that's, that's what I love yeah. about Great my analogy. Yeah, that that, I love that about cool. the bullet. My bullet is totally debadged, except there's there's one badge on the exterior of the bullet Mustang. It's at the very back and center. It says bullet. It's got torque D thrust wheels. It's got a different grill, but it is exteriorly, it is completely decontented from everything else. Doesn't even have no wing on the back. And you're right. Um, it just, people in it, that's why I love the bullet and that's why i bought a bullet because i wanted a mustang but i didn't want the racer boy mustang g you know the gt350 the mach one all the other iterations the bullet to me and i agree you know a, a bullet version of the m5 same thing a decontented exteriorly and it's just but it's got the big engine and it goes with what you want to do but it looks like every other five series on the road you know, Steve, it's funny that you mentioned that we all, and we did not pre-discuss this. It's not like we said, hey, what are the parameters of, the, of these choices? We were all completely independent in, in how we came up with these. And yes, you're right. Even though we all probably have decent budgets because <laughs> our priorities are sort of more car oriented than other things, 
we, we don't want the simplicity and the entry level because of the price range necessarily. And I'm not trying to sound smug there. I'm just saying that given that our price elasticity is a little bit above what we're even describing that we want. So we don't want the biggest and the best and the flashiest and the most expensive. We're all like supercar fans. And I think that's a great example. The bulleted BMW is just an awesome idea. And I think subtlety has been mentioned and, you know, getting back to a little bit more simplistic sort of uh, behavior in the, in the style department or the luxury department or the techno department. And I, I can see that absolutely working. I mean, people are over gizmo nannied in their cars as it is. And I, for one, could give up about a dozen of them and never miss them. Let me do one last one real quick. How about a same thing in Mercedes 500E? Ooh. How about, so that yeah. would be like your BMW. Yeah. It had slightly large, the fenders were slightly flared, but tastefully that you would, it'd go by, oh, there's another, there's another ear series, E series, Mercedes. But you, you're like, you did, the differences were so subtle but underneath there was a, that wonderful Porsche engine. And um, I agree with you, Steve-O. There's a real market for this. Not everybody wants to be, you know, driving a Bentley like I do one day. And uh, something understated with a big engine. Um, great choices. I I thought of uh, this, these, all, I thought of three cars in this one same point. Uh, the first M5, the 500E, and the uh, Mercedes uh, S-Class 6.9. And what they all have is complete understatement. And here's one other thing that pisses me off. And it's one of the things that kind of brought this whole thought to the fore for me. When I see an M3 now, which is the last generation, 2016, 17, 18, um, the F80 M3. When I see it, it's on the streets. It's got a big exhaust. And it's some young dude bro who's showing off the noise and the fact that it, this is a, a performance car. I hate the second, third owners of M3s now. I just can't stand them. And I think you would see less of that if they debadged them, made them more understated, take the flares off, made it more mellow. And oh, by the way, I don't think those dude bros could even think about driving a manual. <laughs> you know, I swear, I mean, we're echoing back to uh, to the uh, other um, uh, comments that we made about that. And I hate to pick on the Corvette because I love that it's an American sports car. So, you know, God bless America and the Corvette. I'm I'm the only one, I think, who's happy that it's mid-engine now competing on the world stage in that regard. However, they walked away from their core market and became kind of the dude bro of the era. And BMW is in grave danger of doing that. Lamborghini is probably already at that party. I'm not sure they can decontent themselves I mean, I don't think subtlety has ever made it to a Lamborghini product design meeting. Um, but what what we're sitting here loving about these cars we're talking about is that they're not screaming, look at me. They're not trying to do it with exhausts and spoilers and stripes and flares and all the stuff. Even though I agree with you, Steph, the 500E was super cool with just a little punched out fenders. It's just too much look at me is just too much for a lot it's of annoying. people. It's annoying. And guess what? We have two examples. Stefan just mentioned one, the Bullet Mustang. It's a, it's a Mach 1, but it doesn't look like a Mach 1. And yep. the other example that proves this will sell is the GT3 Touring. They took off the wing. They made it subtle. It sells yep. like crazy. There's two examples of take a performance car, give it a manual, and people like us who have taste, and we there's a lot of us who buy these cars. So, All right, uh, we're out of time, but uh, Stefan, shut us down. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit that little bell, like, subscribe, tell your friends, and uh, we'll be back at you next week.